we're going to go back in the scripture on the good, the bad, and the ugly. No, it has nothing to do with the Clint Eastwood movie. Though Frank was hysterical Monday in pastor prayer time, he said, the one time you don't ask me if I've seen a movie, and I've seen that movie. And I'm like, you just admitted you were a heathen, and you've been watching this nasty stuff. So I just know the movie's got a lot of bad language, but I'm told it's a pretty classic Western film with Clint Eastwood. So I'm not recommending it. I'm simply saying in the text, we see the best of times. We see the worst of times. We see the good. Today, we see a lot more of the bad. Next week, we're going to see a whole lot more of the ugly. And here's what I want to do today. I'm going to jump a little bit. So Bailey's ready. Fingers are ready. She's going to keep up. But if you'll have your copy of God's word and stand with me, we're going to go back to Genesis 18 and I'm going to just summarize. Okay. We're not going to read everything. I'm going to summarize. In the beginnings of chapter 18, there were three visitors that went to the tent of Abraham and Sarah. Now, Lot and his family had chosen the well-watered plain of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were living in houses. Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, was still nomadic. He was still in a tent. And what you did in the midst of the day was you raised the flaps of the tent, you sat under the shade, and the breezes would come through. Three visitors approach. We learn quite quickly that they're divine. Two of them are angels. One of them is a theophany, an incarnate divine. So God himself, some say a Christophany, Christ. But they begin to interact with Abraham, and they they tell him that they confirm the promise. Twice they confirm the promise that about that time the next year, he would be a father with Sarah, and they would have a son, the son of promise, Isaac. Okay, we don't get all of that just exactly, but we get that they're going to have the son of promise. Sarah overhears, tent walls aren't that thick. She laughs, sort of, we don't exactly know why she laughed, maybe just, come on, I'm an old woman, are you serious? You're going to give me a child now, I'm, I'm pushing 90, he's pushing 100, come on. And so there's a confirmation or a reconfirming because we don't know up to this point if she's even heard this before. And so that's the good. God's plan unfolds and God says, look, I know you went through this thing with Hagar. I know she's had Ishmael. I know there's tension in the family. There will continue to be tension. In fact, all the way up to today. But I keep my promises. But then... The two angelic messengers decide they're going to travel on over to Sodom. And the Lord stays back with Abram. The Lord incarnate stays back with Abraham. And sorry if I keep using Abram. I've been in this so long. Abraham. And he says, I I think I need to tell this man what I'm about to do. And so I want to pick up that and I want to read some of this text. I'm actually, uh, Bailey, I'm going to pick up with verse 16. Okay, verse 16 Uh, ah, she's good. All right. Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. So just like you might do at your house, you kind of walk somebody out maybe to the yard. Y'all chat a little bit more. They get in their car and go. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham will surely, another confirmation, surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. How is it possible that all the nations of the earth are blessed in Abraham? Because through Abraham, we get Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's renamed Israel. And through them, we would get a guy through Judah's line named David. And through David, we would end up getting one called Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. So the whole world is blessed coming all the way back here to Abraham. And the Bible says in 19, God said, I've known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep 
the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and judgment that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's spoken to him. And the Lord said, because, now here's, guys, watch. Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave. Did you notice how God used a plural there? It's also plural in the original. Their sin. It's like this collective idea. It's not one act. It's not the one act that the angels are going to witness as they are in male human form and the men of the town rage around them to come at them sexually. It's not just that particular thing. But before that happens, God said their sin is very grave. Now the Lord said, I'm going to go down and see. So that's a picture, not that God doesn't know, but it's a picture of God looking at something closely. I'm going to see whether they've done all together according to the outcry that's come to me. And if not, I'll know. And the men turned away from there. So the angelic folks, the two that look like men but are angels, go on towards Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Did you notice when you see the word the Lord there at the end of 22, it's that caps. Remember we talked about Yahweh, the covenant God, the creator God. Abraham stood still before him. And let's see, where are we? Okay, 23, and Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And here the negotiations begin. Y'all remember, we talked just quickly about it. What if there are 50? No, I'll spare, I'll spare the whole place for 50 righteous people, right? Um, look at verse 27. Can you skip to 27? Then Abraham answered and said, indeed, now, I, I who am but dust and ashes, sounds a lot like Job. When you get in the presence of God, you realize how tiny you are. I'm just dust and ashes. Peter, woe is me. Depart from me. I am undone. Isaiah, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips. Those who are arrogant and haughty in the faith and think they're better than somebody else spiritually and have their hypocritical, pharisaical noses in the air have likely never been in the presence of the one true and living God. Those that think they're better than you and point a finger in judgment and don't understand what the Bible's teaching. So we're going to be very careful as we navigate this. We're not trying to say, oh, look at us. We're so much better than them. We're trying to say, woe is me. Woe are all of us. We are dust. We are ashes. All of us sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's what we're watching here. Remember that Jonathan Edwards famous sermon? Now he goes in 28 for negotiation. This is fascinating to me. Because that was the culture then, that is the culture now. How many of you have traveled and haggled around the, uh, what we call the ancient Near East or the Middle East? Anybody ever haggled over there? It is an art and it is awesome. I love it. I'm built to haggle. I like that and uh, I make Cindy really nervous when I do it, but I like it. It's part of how I'm made. I want to get that price down. And so kind of in the same vein, he begins haggling for souls. He says, what are there five less? And then at the end of 28, if I found 45, I'll not destroy it. He goes on down. Well, what about 40? Nope, won't destroy it. Now he begins to skip by tens or this is going to take forever. What about 30, Lord? Would you destroy the whole city for 30 righteous? And I'm wondering if in the back of his mind he says, okay, how many are in, how many are in Lot's family? We got Lot and his wife and we got the daughters and the sons-in-law. And I think he's doing some math. And he goes from 30 to 20 and from 20 to 10. And the Lord says at the end of verse 32, 32, 
Suppose ten should be found there, and he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. Now, these are not tiny cities, y'all. Sodom and Gomorrah had a lot of people. But God said, I'm going to withhold my judgment if ten righteous people can be found. And so the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. But two angels came to Sodom. I'm going to go ahead into 19 just a smidgen. Two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Lot sitting there. He saw them, rose to meet them, bowed himself. Here now, my lords. Now watch. He does the same thing Abraham does. He shows great hospitality. I want you to come to my house. Spend the night. Wash your feet. You may rise early. Go your way. And they said, oh, no, no. We're going to stay in the open square. This test, right? We're going to see if what we've heard about the debauchery of this place is true. We're going to see how the natives act to the male strangers coming in town because they don't know their angels, right? But look at three. Something's going on here. Lot insisted strongly. So they turned in to him and entered his house and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. And now before they lay down, meaning it didn't take all that long, news got out. There are two men, it might have been spectacular looking guys. I mean, they are angels incarnate. Didn't say how they look, but it simply says, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, perversion can show at any age. And so young and old, old and young, they all come. And what are they trying to do? All the people from every quarter surrounded the house. So he's not in a tent, he's in a house. And they called to Lot and they said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. The New King James adds the word carnally. Do you see how it's in italics? That means it is not there originally. You may say, well, then wait a minute, pastor. If the word carnally is not there, then how do we know that's what they want to do? Friend, text in context. Come on, y'all. The phrase, the idiom in the Hebrew is absolutely, positively, 100%. We want to sleep with these guys. We want to, not even, that's too mild. We want to use them. We want to abuse them. Bring them out. There are a whole bunch of us and two of them. And we're going to have our way with them. Let's stop there for today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's turning ugly right here, but it's not even gotten to the worst of it. It gets more and more debased even as this chapter flows along. And I just pray today that we would come back and rather than saying, I can't believe how bad they are, I wish we would stop and say, I, I'm in wonder and awe of how good our God is. I wish we would take that approach today to see your mercy to see your incredible grace, unmatched, unparalleled favor. I wish we would recognize, yes, there's some true, rampant, outrageous sin that's unfolding in front of us. But it's not just a then and there issue. It's a here and now issue. And we have a God who is able, a God who is able to spare, to save, even to forgive but we must be willing to repent. We must be willing to believe, to receive what you have for us. Help us understand what that means today and how to apply it in our lives and for the sake of others. Because these issues probably touch every single family represented in this room. 
I certainly know much of my friend group from years ago that I still count friends today have struggled in areas that this text will touch this week and next. And I pray that we'll handle this with boldness, without, as someone wrote me this week, without dancing, without letting the truth die the death of a thousand qualifications. Let our yes be yes, our no be no, as the word is clear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. Okay, gang, real re- quick review. Nothing's too hard for the Lord even when circumstances seem impossible. We, I'm not going to go back into that. Yes, that's about um, God bringing life from a dead womb. So God's going to open up Sarah's womb. They are going to have the child. We're going to see the child being born in the next few weeks. And then I talk to you, what is the greatest challenge you or someone you love has faced? How do you handle it? Can God handle it? And will it even matter a long time from now? Um, uh, Pastor Brian is now over in the office suite with us and on his board it says uh, I asked him this week I thought I knew what it meant but Pastor Brian's board says a million years and I said what does that mean does that mean what I think it means and he said yeah will it matter a million years from now what will matter in a million years what will matter in a year or 10 or a hundred but seriously what matters in a million what matters in a million is you're standing with almighty God who made you That's what matters in a million. You say, but I'm an atheist. I don't believe in him. Okay, fine. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You die, the worms eat you. Congratulations. Sounds fantastic. Right. But what if you are a believer in God? Then have you trusted him? Do you believe that he is more than able to get you through any and every challenge? And although you've messed up. See, I know that about you. I know that you've stumbled and fall and sin and I know you probably did it within the last 24 maybe the last hour maybe getting over here today maybe you were about to kill each other before you got here I'm just gonna wait and look at who looks at each other (laughs) pastor Todd I'll get a shot and we can do counseling with see y'all think in the balcony y'all in them dark pockets I can't see you but I can see you all right The truth is, before the day's out, we know we're going to stumble, fall, and sin in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, maybe in our inaction, because we, like sheep, have all gone astray. But aren't you grateful, number two, the Lord genuinely cares for the righteous and extends extraordinary mercy. Now, define terms with me. If God cares for the righteous, how can I be righteous? You can't. Give up. Well, then, what hope is there? When you come to God by faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he imputes his righteousness. He credits his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus, to your account. So imagine you're a pauper. You look at your checking account, and let's say you have eight bucks left, or maybe even eight cents left. We've been there. You look, and there's just nothing there. And yet you refresh your app, and it pops up, and you're a multimillionaire. And you're like... Let's go withdraw that because the bank has clearly made a mistake. It's like we were talking about some of our generous people and we were laughing. Some of the guys and I were talking about writing like a seven-figure check. And I said, I can write it. You can never cash it, but I can write it. I can put all the zeros on a piece of paper you want. But if your account were just loaded with cash and you went, what is this that's imputed? It's been credited to you. It's been given. What did you do to earn it or deserve it? Absolutely nothing. 
It was given to you as a free and unmerited gift. And God says, if you'll accept what Jesus has done on your behalf, dying in your place on the cross, as this little fellow said this morning so perfectly, he was buried and raised by the power of God the third day. And if you believe that, it is credited to you as righteousness. That's what the Bible says about Abraham in Hebrews. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So, God, the Lord, genuinely cares for the righteous, those who have trusted him, and extends extraordinary mercy. You say, yeah, but God loves the sinner too. Yes, but be careful. Be careful with that. Five different times, particularly like I can think of Psalm 5. I believe it might even be 5-5. The Bible says God abhors the wicked. So be careful with your lovey, fuzzy uh, teaching that says, or your thoughts that says, but God loves them as much as he loves me. Yeah, but here's the deal. You don't punish sin. You punish sinners. You don't punish stealing. You punish a thief. And so people apart from the righteousness of Christ imputed to them are hopeless because they stand in their own works which are filth because even if you break one point of the law, the Bible says you've broken it all. Therefore, we come back and when we scan the second half of Genesis 18, we get this very interesting negotiation, if you will, beginning to happen. God himself has stayed with Abraham. It's an incredible scene. God reminded Abraham that he was the chosen means of blessing the nations. And Yahweh revealed to Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, cities whose sinfulness is, according to the Lord here, beyond remedy. Abraham is aware that this implies the death of his own nephew Lot and all of his family. And so they get all the way down to 10, and I believe Abraham's thinking, well, maybe. Maybe there's enough in Lot and Mrs. Lot and their kids and their family. Maybe there's enough God in them to keep the fire from falling. But there wasn't. In fact, I didn't read it yet, but if you read just a few verses down, one of the sickest potential sins in the Bible is unfolded. One of the sickest potential sins in the Bible it really turns my stomach. In fact, as I was studying this, I remember about a month ago, reading, reading, I'll do just a lot of reading and rereading and kind of meditating, and I just began to weep at my office chair because of my girls and our two granddaughters and all the beautiful young women God has put in my life and our family, and I thought, how debased has this culture come? And when I see what parents are allowing to happen to little children today with their bodies being mutilated and drugs being pumped into them because of a feeling they had or a trend, let's be real with what's going on, a trend that's happening in this gender ideology fiasco, I think, you know what I'd do to every one of those parents? I'd hang them up by their toenails from the highest tree. When you can harm your own child, there is a sickness and a sin issue. We're going to get there. Just hang with me. But I love what one commentator had to say about this second half of 18. He said this, quote, Abraham exercised his ministry of mediation by pleading with the Lord to spare the righteous and thus the cities in which they live. Now, we know, guys, that Christ is the mediator that Job cried out for, to have his hand on God and his hand on man. But I do want to ask you a profound question and ask you to jot it in your notes if you have them. Do you <clears throat> regularly engage in a ministry of mediation? 
Now, I didn't say meditation. Don't misspell it. Although you should be meditating on the word of God, soaking it in, not meditating, rubbing crystals and hugging trees and all that garbage, but thinking deeply on the things of God. You think deeply on the things of God, like Pastor Kevin Mislevick said Wednesday night. Sometimes your jaw just drops. Sometimes you just breathe in and there's this moment of holy silence. And it's hard to take in how good God is. It's hard to take in how merciful God is. God was willing to spare these unrighteous, debased, hedonistic cities for 10 people. But what is a ministry of mediation? You could use the word intercession. Some of you would be more comfortable with that word. That's okay. Listen to James 5.16. It says, confess your trespasses or your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, we often think physical healing, and that's perfectly appropriate and right in the text. But also the Bible talks about spiritual healing and the ministry of mediation or intercession. I want you to think about it. Uh, I've got a, a, a visual here. Uh, y'all seen me do stuff kind of like this before with cords and all, but let me show you what I've got. So I've got just a regular old three-prong extension cord, right? And we've seen these before. I'm glad we wrapped it really well so that it wouldn't be tangled when I took it out. That was great. And so here's modern, here's what a lot of, a lot of modern preaching and teaching says today. It says you need faith. Think about this cord as a representative of faith, true belief. You know the cord is, is just a cord right now. But here's what a lot of preaching and teaching says today. It says you just need to believe. And it says, well, what do I believe in? Well, it doesn't matter as long as you're sincere. You just need to increase your faith. You'll have faith in faith. And then what kind of power do you get from that? Well, you get about as much power as this. That's faith in faith, guys. Is that helpful? That's completely useless unless it's being stored. Unless you're not doing anything with it, this is completely useless. Faith in faith will get you nowhere. So the Bible doesn't ever stress faith in faith. It says to increase our faith in God, the object of our faith, because your faith is only as strong as its object. In the same way that I had to come in this morning just before I went back to the green room and I, or prayer time, and I had to come in here and I had to open the box and I had to test this outlet. Now, would anybody, if I had two little metal bars, man, this is fantastic. Look at how we did this. Would anybody be willing to come up here if I had two little metal bars and you hold them in your hand and you stick them in there and see if the power's flowing? I mean, you would probably do that, wouldn't you, Chad? I knew my man Chadrick on the front. I kind of had a feeling you would like this. Anybody else want to come? The thing is, I need to know if it's working. Here is the ministry of mediation. This is the ministry of mediation. The power is over there. But I need it in my life, or you need it in your life, or in your family, or your place of business, or what you do in school. You need it there. You need to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so I just happen to have, don't look directly into the light, seriously. Uh, and so look at there. That is a ministry of mediation right there. So what that does is it connects to the power. You say, now wait a minute, pastor. I know the Bible. I'm not the power, I'm just the conduit. I'm, I'm just somebody that God, can, you're right. Jesus is the ultimate mediator that connects the power of God to people. 
Jesus is the one to let our light shine. But here's the deal. Most people aren't just going to crack open a Bible on their own. So you become the connector between them and Jesus. They begin to see the power of God. I told you all don't look at that light. That's bright, and that'll hurt you. I'm serious. Don't look at that. You begin to connect them to the real source of power. And then when you stop, the light goes out and they know it. Because here's what I've often said. One of these prongs is your time in the word. That's God speaking to you. One of these prongs is your time in prayer. That's you speaking to God and listening. And one of these prongs is a family of faith. Here we call it grace. That's our family of faith where you get re-energized and plugged in. Why do you need the grounding plug? You said, I can have power with these top two, the hot neutral. I don't need the grounding plug. You do when the lightning comes. You do when the storm's brewing. You need a family of faith. You don't need to be disconnected. You need to be grounded. And so when that three-strand cord that's not easily broken, that three-pronged attachment happens, you can have the ministry of mediation. What do you think Abraham is doing? You could argue, well, he's looking after his own family. Yeah, maybe, but he's willing to put his neck on the line in humility. He's not demanding from God, but in humility, he's willing to put his neck on the line. I'm dust and ashes, Lord, but can I ask one more time? See, a lot of times we forget what Jesus said. You have not because you ask not. If you want something greater, if you want something bigger for your life and for those you care about, then y'all need to start asking God, believing God. Could God save the city? Could God change the state? Could God turn our nation? Can God bring this world back to himself? Absolutely. But the people of God have got to have a ministry of mediation. We've got to have a ministry that says we're going to go out and we're going to connect people to our Lord. We're not going to have faith in faith. That's ridiculous. We're going to have faith in Almighty God. God is hearing the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. That word in the Hebrew is used other places to describe the cry of the oppressed who are brutalized by masters. I want you to listen to this now. Some of y'all in your minds have read Sodom and Gomorrah your whole life and you think it's all about homosexuality. And that is a big part of it, and we're going to talk about it. And we're not going to dance around it, and we're not going to qualify it. But it's more than that. How do you know it's more than that, Pastor? I'll show you how I know. Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50. Their sin is not only sexual, it's social. Listen to this. Ezekiel 16, 49. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters, meaning her occupants, were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. You never heard that about Sodom and Gomorrah, have you? They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty. See, remember, it's a well-watered plain. It's a rich place. They have plenty of what they need. They live in actual houses when much of the world is still in tents. It says they were overfed and unconcerned. They didn't help the poor and needy. They were haughtable, and they did detestable things before me. Therefore... God said, I did away with them as you have seen. Now, we don't know if this outcry came from the surrounding peoples or it was the anguished cry of those who were suffering from Sodom's sin. Because if these two guys were about to be um, used and abused, 
Do you think it was the first time? Of course it wasn't the first time. If all of those people gathered, young and old, that quickly from all the points of Sodom and came to Lot's house, don't you think they had done that before? And so what happens is there's this outcry and the Lord sent angels incarnate to investigate the situation and to deal with Sodom. And Abraham is cognizant of all that is going on. And the Bible says he stood still before the Lord. See, sometimes we get all out of sorts and we think we've got to fix it all. But the Bible tells me that Abraham started by talking with God. You said, but I'd talk with God if he was standing right here with me. No, because you probably wouldn't recognize him. Because I doubt he's wearing a three-piece suit with a new necktie. Just let that sit for a minute for all you tie fans. No doubt Abraham was discovering the delights of God's friendship and introduced to the privilege of partnership, but it also meant he shared the burden of stewardship. He was God's man. He was in a privileged position because God chose to use him. God used him despite all of his many, many faults. We've already seen a number of faults come out about Abraham. But he was careful to preface his remarks humbly. I'm just dust. I'm just ashes. I can't even really speak to you. It's hard to imagine more profound or significant questions and statements here, but he's asking God, would you do this? Would you do this? Would you do this? Humbly, he's asking God, and God's replying positively. No, Abraham, I won't do that. I'll spare them. I'll spare them. I'll spare them all the way down. And so this haggling, as I said, is sort of a part of the business. I love going to the Holy Land. One of the reasons is going into the shops. Now, there are certain places you don't haggle. There are just certain businesses that prices are set. It would kind of be like going to Walmart, I guess, here. I don't know, but I I guess you could try. But when we go in the markets in particular, and the the different, uh, particularly in the old city, there is an expectation that you are not going to pay what they would ask. I remember a few different times having items start at like $100. And by the time it's over, I'm walking out of there, and it's 10 bucks. And it probably cost the guy $2 to make it or get it. But here's the deal. You know that's part of it. And it's a back and it's a forth. And it's this exchange. But in this particular scenario, Abraham's striking number of righteous persons, just 10, is God, would you stay your judgment for this tiny, tiny group out of multiplied thousands You see, a just God is not going to destroy the righteous without warning or at least investigation. And I want you to think about this. If you see pockets of unholiness, I'm just going to use one example. I don't know how many of you have spent time in New Orleans, but the convention was in New Orleans. I've been down many times to New Orleans, and when I was a teenager, I went to sing down there at some competition thing, and I got to sing in the the, um, Superdome thing. I was 16 years old and nobody really warned me about what we could see at night on Bourbon Street. You can see everything at night on Bourbon Street. And I thought even as a teenager, how, I don't think I use the word wicked, but how just kind of ungodly is this place? Man, I mean, there's great food and there's a pretty cool cultural scene and there are a lot of things to like, but there's a lot of debased things going on in certain parts, the French Quarter in particular. And I thought, Lord, you know, if you wanted to, 
could just clean this up. And I know people have argued about Katrina and all that. Don't buy that. French Quarter was one of the most spared areas of the city. Just quit thinking that way. You're not God and you don't know how he judges. But here's the deal. I do know that God will spare entire cities and maybe entire nations when there's a remnant of the righteous. That should speak to us, church. It should speak to us because Abraham pled that God might spare the cities. And I think it's important for us to speak up and speak out. When I left Sound of Freedom, which I'm going to say something about here in just a minute, you definitely want to get those phones ready. When, When I left that, There was a burden in my spirit, but also there was a a flicker of hope because I know our church is doing something. I know we're doing something. You may not know what we're doing, but we're going to tell you about it. And so I want to ask you a question. Will we continue to plead for people and even places because we believe God is merciful? Will we as a church plead for people and plead for places God, would you do a work in New Orleans? If you could do a work in New Orleans, and I know that you could, that would send a signal not only to the state of Louisiana, but the whole nation. If you could do a work in L.A., if you could do a work, fill in the blank. If you could do a work, and God can. But do we believe he can? Or do we leave going, no, just wash our hands of that mess. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want to judge and send people away into eternal hell. God doesn't want to punish people. He never even created the lake of fire for people. But for the devil and all of his demonic cohorts, and yet people will reject God and in their rejection a just God must allow them to choose and they choose eternity without him as children of God we are privy to his plans for the future you don't have to be Abraham standing beside of God the problem is if I was standing beside of God and he was on my bad ear side I wouldn't hear half of what he said anyway I can read it for myself in black and white God doesn't stutter here I am privy to his plans now I'm a pre-trib pre-mill guy so I think the next thing to happen is the church is going to be caught up in tribulation we're going to go seven years then we're going to come back for a thousand and rule and reign you may not believe that you may think the church is in the tribulation that is okay I will smile and wave when I'm going up to meet my Jesus okay the reality is I believe we're getting out of here but even if you don't believe that you know we're privy to the future just like my brother James prayed over me this morning back with some of the pastor prayer partners he said God thank you thank you we know the war is won we're still in the battle but the war is won Jesus is victorious. That makes all the difference. When you watch that ball game and somebody told you before you left church, even though you begged them, don't tell me the end of the game, and they said, hey, congratulations, Pastor, the Tar Heels pulled it out, and you want to strangle the life out of them by their neck, but you go watch the game anyway, you might get excited, but you won't get as excited, and I think that's what's happened to the church. Hello? We know how it ends, and so we say, oh, what's the big deal? I'm on the winning team. The heart of God says he wants as many possible 
singing his praises, announcing his glory through the halls of heaven. Why would we alone be the ones that want to go? I know, I know, I know. We think sometimes we are the only ones with a lock on truth. But every man, woman, boy, and girl throughout history who has looked to the word of God and trusted in the son of God and believes that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will come to the father except by him, everyone who's truly believed in the Lord Jesus will get to go and we will be together to praise the Lord forever. Church, we ought to want more people to come. It's like this. I want you to have the passion that I saw in one of my favorite movies. Now, I have to apologize. I did not realize until re-watching it a few years ago that the language is horrific. I don't know why I didn't pick up on this younger. I think the more you walk with the Lord, maybe the more he convicts you certain things. But here's the deal. If you can find it edited, find it edited. If you watch it unedited, know your preacher warns you, okay? But there's something about this movie that has always reminded me of my childhood. It is just like me and my buddies. It's the way we grew up. It's the way we went around the neighborhood. And we'd go miles and miles and miles away on our bikes. And then we got bigger, our four-wheelers. And we'd do crazy things together. Now, I will admit, we never went hunting dead bodies. But I think Stand By Me is one of the greatest movies that's ever been put on film. Now, I know, I know, the language is bad. I'm sorry. I repent in sackcloth and ashes. But here's the deal. We've got to regain a passion for pleading to God for other people. Do you remember these little 12-year-old boys? Have y'all, I know Frank Catton, but have the rest of y'all seen Stand By Me? There's this scene that unfolds as they're on this grand adventure to find this little guy that got hit on the train trestle, or on the track, but they're on the high trestle. There's this big high train trestle. And you know Gordy, sort of the main guy, the Gordy, he, he feels the rails. He's always sort of the analytical kid, and he, he feels the rails. What's he feeling for? That rumble. There's only one way for them to go if a train is coming. And he begins to feel something. And he turns around. And the camera zooms in. If you don't want to put up with the movie, you can YouTube the scene. And the camera zooms in on his face. And you know what he does? Hey, fellas, there's a train coming. No. What does he do, church? He goes, train! What would you do? The same thing, I hope, if you love your buddies. If you care at all about people around you, you've got to warn them. And what happens? Well, Teddy and Chris are ahead on the track. Teddy and Chris have no problem. They're running, they're running, they're running. They're, they're long out ahead, but then there's old Vern. Anybody remember Vern? He was the chubby one. He grew up, that is Jerry, what's his name? Jerry O'Connell? Yeah, that's like he's a svelte actor now. But that was Jerry O'Connell as a little kid acting. And you know what happened to old Vern? He fell down and he grabbed the track and he said, I can't, I can't, I can't. Because you have the railroad ties and you're having to run on them to get off of the trestle. And the train, the steam whistle's blowing and it's coming around the bend. And you can begin to see the big black engine and it's barreling down. And Gordy says some choice words, but he grabs a hold of him. He literally grabs him. Get up! I'm telling you, get up. We're going to die. And that little actor, whoever he is, was incredibly impassioned. I don't know how, they, how many times they had to film it. 
It was a powerful scene. And then Vern begins to hoof it. And Gordy's pushing him all the way, pushing him, pushing him, pushing him, pushing him, and they get right off to the edge where they both just jump. They're kind of dirty, and I think one of them lost a comb in the adventure and all of this craziness, but they're all alive. And I got to thinking about it, and I thought, Lord, as impassioned as these children are to get from side A to side B of a train track, How is it that the people of God cannot be equally, if not more, passionate about missing the train to hell and saying, you know what? It is coming for you. And if you have never trusted Jesus who died for your sin, who was buried and by the power of God raised the third day, you don't deserve it. You'll never earn it. But by faith, that'll connect you through the cord of faith to his power. You can receive him today. Don't let the train of hell come and knock you out and take you down. Trust in the Lord and he will take you safely to the other side. Somebody's got to keep standing up saying, hey, Hell is real, but so is heaven, and God wants you safely on the other side. Somebody's got to be impassioned. Somebody's got to cry out for souls. I don't understand the lack of urgency in churches today. Well, we're not going to do an invitation. We don't want people to feel bad. How much worse are they going to feel than burning forever? Abraham was willing to plead with God. And these are some horrible people that he's pleading for. And until we get to the place where we're saying, listen, whatever their story, whether they're in this particular community, the LGBTQ community, or they're prostitutes, or they're drug addicts and drunks, and the lowest of the low, until we get on our knees and say, oh God, I believe you can save them too. You saved a wretch like me. Pull them out of the muck and mire of their sin, and then let them come into the church. Let them be a part of what God is doing. Until we get that level of passion, we're just walking across the track like nothing's going on. And you can keep your back to the train all you want, but the train of judgment is coming. I, for one, am ready to see my Jesus, but I want as many people there as possible. There is an issue in our world today. We're going to pick up next week. I thought I'd get further than this. This one service thing is nice, though. I can lay it out in one time. Lot's going to try to sell off his daughters for horrible, perverse sexual experiences. They will turn the tide and actually end up using their daddy sexually. It's going to get real bad next week. But that's happening in our own state. I just got the most recent figures from Homeland Security that it is over 100 children per month being bought and sold in the state of Tennessee. Let's bring it home. Knoxville, with the way our highways merge and come through, is a hub in many ways of human trafficking. You have got to be aware of what's going on. And a a film that, according to experts, is about 85, 90% accurate to a true story is called Sound of Freedom. If you'll take your phone out, 
By the generosity of a family and our Grace Go budget, we have bought out the entire theater for a showing on August the 4th. It's not this Friday, but next. The first 100 people who sign up right now get free tickets. Now, it's not free just because we don't want you to spend money. At the end of the film, we want you to pay it forward. Go ahead and click it and do it. The first 100 of you. Now, you've got to be able to go. If you say, well, I'm already out the 4th, don't steal somebody else's ticket. If you can go 7 o'clock Friday, August 4th, out to Oak Ridge, it is a fantastic theater. We're going to have the whole thing. Brother Ted Francisco, who's worked human trafficking cases, who's had to sit there and actually look at the computer screen to log things, who's had to deal with the scum of the scum of the scum, and how he didn't kill him, I don't know. But he, by the grace of God, he's going to talk to us very briefly afterward. I'm not, I'll be honest with you, I'm not even going back. I'm assigning some other pastors to take my place. But some pastors will be there, Ted will be there. He's going to talk to you. I don't, I don't want to watch it again. But I did think it was important enough for my wife and I to go and buy tickets and some of our kids, older kids, the first time. you got to be very discerning. I wouldn't think a child under 13, 14 should go. It's rated PG um, 13. You can just put in, if you're not good with QR codes, you can just put in gracebc.org slash movie, first 100. Then you'll go to a wait list. If more of you want to go, we're going to buy another theater. And if more of you want to go, we'll buy out another one, we'll buy out another one, we'll buy out another one. And then at the end, you can click the QR if you choose, and you can pay tickets forward to the next batch of people that want to go. Not through Grace, but anywhere in the world it's showing. We believe that God is using this film And a lot of films of faith that are not hokey, it's not over the top, it's not stuff your throat with gospel message, it's just a a, a retelling of true events. We, We believe that God is using this film and some recent films like it to wake up our world to the tragedy, the grotesque, perverse tragedy of trafficking. And if you want to be a part and you want to see it with your church, we got 100 in this theater. We'll buy as many theaters as you want to buy, but we, we need to see how many people are interested. Here's what we'll do. We'll get the tickets. We'll tell you how to pick them up. You still have almost two full weeks. We'll tell you where to get the tickets. Um, if you can't make it back to get them, we'll make sure you get them. And then, again, you can pay it forward. If you get on the wait list, we'll open another theater. Sound of Freedom, August the 4th. Nothing, I know I put number three on there because I meant to get to it. I'm, I'm going to finish this next week with all of this craziness out of uh, 19. We're going to do the whole thing next week. Uh, you might want to pack a lunch. I don't know. But just come back. Um, we're going to finish. Listen, I'm not going to drag this out. We've got to get to this. If you have any friends or family in the LGBTQ community, I would love for you to invite them to be with you next week in particular. I'd like for them to hear how this is handled biblically, and I hope in a balanced sense. I'd love for them to be here. I'd love to meet them and share with them. Um, I have many, many friends out of this community, and I think it would be important for them to know we're not here to bash and be ugly, but we are here to speak truth in love and not dance around it and not uh, pre-qualify God's truth. So that is next week. So nothing's too hard for the Lord, even when circumstances seem impossible, and he genuinely cares for the righteous and extends extraordinary mercy and That's the good and the bad. Next week, the ugly. Stand with me. It's only 11.15. Y'all doing all right. Don't worry about it. Here's what you need to know. Somebody's got to tell somebody before it's too late. And it is not complicated, and you don't need a special class on it. You need to speak your faith as you go. 
and every day throes of your walking through life, you need to speak your faith. You need to invite people to the house of God. You need to make sure that you're connected. Bible, prayer, family of faith, connected to power. And I pray that you will be back next week. This, next week will be our last Sunday in a single service. Once vacation season ends, there's absolutely no way the numbers we had in the spring would sustain one service. We'd have uh, eight, 900 people out in an overflow. That's not good. So um, we want you to be back. I warn you one last time, there are serious subjects, incest, and gang things and other things that we have to unpack as we read the text to see the truth because some preachers have danced around this in recent years. Oh, that's just an issue of hospitality or that's just an issue of this. (laughs) No, no, my friend, it's not. It's a lot worse than that. And so we're gonna hit it square on right between the eyes. And I thank you for being a part of today. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.